Midlife can be a time of reflection where we ponder our personal history and identity and wonder why we aren't as happy and content as we thought we would be at this stage of life. Today, I talk to Claire and James Davis, the midlife mentors, on why we should be looking forward, not back, in our midlife and how making small changes to our mindset and lifestyle can create a happy and healthy second act. Hello, I'm neuroscientist Dr. Ben Webb, offering brain advice for a mentally healthy and happy life. Welcome to episode 69 of Better Brain, Better You. Hope you're having a great week. Really pleased you could join me for today's episode on thriving in midlife with the Midlife Mentors. Your lifestyle in midlife, like the food you eat and how you move your body, is not only important for your body health, it's also critical for your brain health. And there are many changes you can make to your lifestyle that will contribute to a healthy brain to protect your brain from diseases like Alzheimer's and stroke later in life. And to help you, I put together a free guide that shows you the six simple steps you can take right now to keep your brain healthy. You can get this free guide at ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash brain health. That's ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash brain health. Please do go ahead and download this free guide. It will help you get started optimizing your brain health straight away. Welcome to the podcast, Glenn and James. It's fantastic to have you here. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, Ben, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us on. Superb. So looking back at the work that you've done in the past and so as well as your kind of coaching and your your training experience but just looking at your kind of your history there's a kind of a lot of writing content creation and communication a bit of PR in there as well that's kind of featured a lot in your career so perhaps you tell us about your your personal and work journey together to to before you started building midlife mentors or towards building midlife mentors why don't you go first Mr D yeah so um <laughs> I actually, bizarrely, I, I trained as a, as a psychologist. So I, I did my, my bachelor's and a master's in applied psychology and even dabbled in occupational psychology but was, was led astray by going into dance music instead and became a journalist uh, in the dance music scene. So I worked for the Ministry of Sound for a few years and that led to a career in content. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah, it was, it was a great, it was a fun time. Very, very different time. To what I trained in. Um, Slightly different to fitness and well-being. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that scene very well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but as so often happens in life, you know, I went to something that was actually like a, a passion, and I really enjoyed and loved. And then gradually, as, as I ascended that slippery corporate ladder and got more and more corporate, was more involved, switched from more. Uh, creation side I guess to more like the business development strategy side I was still loving it but essentially I felt like I could be more fulfilled in life so back in 2011 I took a big decision to to basically um, jump out and jump over to Ibiza which I obviously knew very well from from my past life they are very different guys like I knew what beautiful island was I wanted to go there and, and basically set up and run fitness retreats bring people to the island to appreciate the, the other side of it the natural beauty uh, and work with people not just on their bodies, but yeah, with the mindset stuff as well. So you know, coaching, looking at nutrition, uh, and that was our, our first company, Thirty Eight Degrees North, and and that was yeah, what, a decade ago now. 
Yeah, well, you say out, so I didn't come into 38 Degrees North until a little bit later, and my, well, you mentioned PR there, so I was a PR girl, I started off at Harrods um, back in 1999, absolutely hated PR right from the get-go, I have to say, it wasn't, it's, it's you know, I did journalism and, and PR and I absolutely, as my degree, and I wanted to go and do politics, glad I didn't do that as well, but um, absolutely, it just wasn't my thing at all, it and, and I kept trying lots of different things. So on the side, I actually went freelance really early on in PR to try and find my thing. So I became a stress management consultant, um, a business consultant, a business coach from Microsoft. So I was doing all these things whilst trying to keep my PR money coming in. And it didn't work. The balance was really, really difficult. I kept going back into PR because I kept um, having imposter syndrome, I couldn't create my own business, I couldn't be successful doing something I loved, all these belief systems I had. And um, in the end, it wasn't until I was about 30 that I decided um, that I was going to, through my own journey, I was um, put on antidepressants and I didn't want to, I was put, piling on the weight and that's when I found I wasn't into fitness at all. That's when I found fitness and well-being and nutrition through my own experience of trying to get myself better and coming off those antidepressants. And then I thought, I love this. This is amazing. If it's doing this for me, I wonder if I can teach other people to do it. And that's when I... So I took my coaching, combined it with my personal training and my nutrition, and then it's just a whole holistic approach. And I finally, after 14 years, found my thing. So I know what it feels like to, to, to keep grappling with feeling like you haven't found your purpose. You said to exercise really helped you with your mental health. Massively, massively, massively. I mean, I can't... Mindset-wise, it helped me regain control of my life and it made me feel that it was the only thing at that time that I felt like I could control was that own self-care and my own well-being. So, you know, a lot of the women that I work with one-to-one now, you know, their life is in chaos. They might be going through divorce. They might be going through really difficult times. But the one thing that they can focus on and control is, is what they're doing with their health. So it's a really powerful tool to get some semblance of direction and focus back in your life. And then it starts to feel, you know, to spill out into all other areas of your life as well. Once you've got a handle on that, you start feeling powerful again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got it. So you're in Marbella, is that right? <laughs> I am slightly jealous, just, just, a, just a tad, but... So that, but you're you're there because you, that's where you. It's part of your work, but also you have a wellbeing program that you run out there as well. Is that right? Yeah. So um, our, our fitness retreats we originally started in Ibiza, but then and we, I joined you there, and you joined I? me there. So yeah, Claire and I actually we known each other a few years. Um, we both got divorced at the same time, and then we kind of got together in 2016. And it's just been. I'm so glad I found her because it's been an inspiration. And it's just. It's just inspired both of us to, to work on ourselves even more, you know, and just reapply even harder, which, which is beautiful. But, um, yeah, our fitness retreats ran in Ibiza. Then I think in 2016 or 17, um, Punta Romano, which is, a, which is a fabulous resort here, asked us to come and start working with them on retreats. So 
that's how we started to know Marbella, um, and we actually spent last winter out here. We just wanted to, you know, sit out the, what we thought was going to be an inevitable lockdown at home. We've got had a, at the time a tiny flat in central London, no outside space. We thought, hmm, should we sit here and be locked down in London in winter, or should we go to Marbella? So, so we did and took the risk. Yeah, all being well with the, with the world of COVID restrictions. Yeah, we're running retreats there again from January onwards. Uh, okay, yeah, because I saw. Uh... I uh, listened to your podcast. I think it was the one in which you were talking about bringing your dog over on the ferry because you didn't want to come on the plane. <laughs> so your dog obviously means a lot to you. Yeah, she's our fur baby. She's our fur baby. She's our fur baby. She, she actually causes an enormous amount of stress. You know, driving across France and Spain. I'm looking in the back. She's just like whatever, you know, I'm just, I'm just enjoying the ride. I'm thinking she's got no idea the sacrifices we're having to go through because of her. I feel she doesn't appreciate it. She doesn't. Got, we could have got a two and a half hour flight, but instead we're spending days in a car. She just doesn't appreciate <laughs> Yeah, 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 no, I know exactly, my dog is just now joined me, I can know exactly, exactly what you mean. So if we, so talking about the, the, the work that you do, what are, you know, what are the, what are the really kind of big challenges you're seeing for people in midlife? Well, I, I guess we got into this. We actually started the Midlife Mentors back in 2018. Yes, and then the podcast in 2019. And that was our first dabble into the whole midlife. We'd been working with midlifers, but it was the first time we thought we really wanted to focus on that. Um, and the Midlife Mentors podcast started at the beginning of 2019. And our inspiration for that really was, um, you know, our own age, like I'm 49 in a few weeks. How old am I, James? You're 42. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we wanted to find out what worked for us, you know, how can we keep healthy? How can we keep a positive mindset? How can we be healthy? How can we, like, you know, ensure we're not only living longer, but living a better quality of life? But it was also inspired by seeing so many of our contemporaries, you know, friends, just kind of the mindset of like, well... This is kind of it now. It's just inevitable decline. This is what I have to accept. And we're like, no, no, no. Listen, like, there, there's stuff you can be doing. There is really stuff you can be doing to, to embrace this second act with like joy and, and be healthy and happy. So that was really the driver for it. And I guess what we've seen in the last twenty months with the situation, you know, internationally with COVID, you know, that's led to a massive level of uncertainty for people. You know, and as you all know from your background, yeah. The human brain loves this perception of certainty, even if it's unreal. They love, they love to think that things are certain, they're set in stone. Everyone's had to get used to this ambiguity, this uncertainty, a feeling of loss of control over their lives, you know. Oh, do I have to stay locked in my house? Can I go out and get this? Can I not? Can I go on holiday? Can I not? And that's led, I think, we've seen a lot of anxiety, definitely. Um, obviously, lockdown, we saw a lot of people put on a lot of extra weight because the movement really went out the window and there was constant temptation at home, um, you know, stress-related comfort eating as well. And I think as we're coming out the other side now, there is still a lot of anxiety around. And I think the other thing it's done is it's put a lot of pressure on relationships in midlife as well. Because suddenly people that, you know, maybe had this unspoken agreement about how things worked, that they lived together, but they both went up and did their separate things. Suddenly they're locked in a house together for like 18 months. It's bought things so there's definitely, definitely been a lot of work there. We, we always, we joked, it's not, it's not funny, but it was funny to us. You know, James and I basically lived like that for six years. <laughs> Working together, living together. And we were like, no different. Absolutely no different at all. But we can see why it was challenging at first. But it is, you know, it's true. I think one of the things, there's an underlying feeling, I think, for, uh, and, and the midlife crisis gets a bad rap. 
But I do think there's, there's a point when you reach, normally it's around your 40s, where you reach that moment in time where there's a bit of a sense of identity crisis, like who am I, what do I want, I've gathered all this stuff around me, I look like I should have everything together, but I don't feel like I do. There's a sense of shame, a sense of guilt around that. And then, you know, they might have grown apart from their partner, they might not be understanding these feelings that they've got about why aren't I happy? Like, why have I, I've got all this stuff and I've climbed a career, I've got the security, but why am I not fulfilled? And that can be very, very terrifying for a lot of people. And then they don't know how to handle it and then that creates a barrier in their relationship because there's a lack of communication. But one of the things we always say is, when you're young, you play to win. And then when you get to midlife, you play not to lose. So you're so scared of like losing your stuff that you you no longer you're no, no longer in the present moment. You no longer feel awe and excitement and adventure for your life. You're just too busy trying to keep it all together and all under real tight control. I love that. Yeah, no, I love that. I really do because that that you know that, that kind of maxim because it's definitely the case when you reach midlife. It's kind of lots of you know, certainly, definitely for men, a lot of the kind of, a lot of your kind of childhood experiences seem to sort of like come to the fore all the time. A lot of men start reflecting on their life, you know, often have a lot of kind of you know, mental health challenges at that point as well, as you say, because they reach that kind of sort of juncture, like, you know, but I love, I love that about looking forward rather than looking back. You use that with your clients, yeah? Oh, absolutely. One of the things I always quote is the old Viking saying, you know, don't look back, you're not going that way. <laughs> but it's, you know, and then your body's, body feels like it's not your own, especially for, for midlife women that are going through perimenopause and menopause. You know, your body feels like it's not your own anymore. That, that sense of youthfulness, which, you know, for men and women. And you just, you don't really understand. There's a real lack of awareness physiologically about what's going on for you that just compounds the issue of low mood, anxiety, depression. But a lot of people aren't compassionate with themselves because they don't know hormonally what's going on triggering all this stuff. So they're just beating themselves up constantly, as well as having all these things that need healing. I think we go through a real healing time in our in our midlife. You know, there's a lot of things to be healed that we might have been masking for a really long time. And you've got the double whammy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you, are you doing, you're doing work, menopausal work with women as well? Yeah, yeah. So I do um, some, I did some workshops around um, international, well, it was a global menopause day or international menopause day a few, just before we came to Marbella. So that was a crazy week. So I was doing corporate workshops and then I, I ran a workshop for, um, you know, um, you know, my network of women where we all came together, we did a workout together, we did a workshop. But I feel so passionate about it. I feel really passionate about it because, you know, it's about bringing women together in a safe space to talk about all of the stuff that's going on for them, but also to create awareness around what might be going on for the men in their life as well. So I do work around the male menopause. Again, it was a crazy. I was, I was sitting on corporate workshops as well to talk about the male menopause because it's... It's amazing the amount of, of coverage that the female menopause is now getting. You know, there's been a lot of high-profile celebrity books. Companies are actually starting to develop menopause policies, and it's absolutely needed. It's amazing. But 
no one yet is really talking about the, the male menopause or andropause. And like you're saying there, the, the stats around male mental health, particularly at midlife, are, are horrific, you know, horrific. Uh, and I think for many men, it's, it's they don't understand too. They don't understand that a lot of this is like hormonally driven. There's these things going on inside their body. So they start to think there's actually something wrong with them. Um, when I speak to clients, they're like, you know, I just, I just don't feel like myself. I think I'm going slightly mad. I feel like my body's letting me down. It's like... If we can start to understand it, we can start to bring some compassion to it, uh, and then it's, you know awareness precedes change. It starts to look at you know, the lifestyle changes we can make to start to work with what's happening with our bodies, and working with like the physical body and working on the mindset as well. So that's that's really key. I think as I know from your work. I think I feel so passionate about it because I've been on antidepressants. You know, I was put on antidepressants um, over ten years ago, and I feel so passionate about it because. A lot of women, we, there was a story in the paper recently about a, a man coming forward and saying sadly his, his um, wife had taken her own life and he didn't realise just how difficult the perimenopause and menopause symptoms were for her. And I hear these stories, they're not infrequent stories. Um, and I feel really passionate about it because a lot of the women I do talk to have gone to their GP, not all GPs are like this, but they'll go to their GP and they don't say, how's your nutrition? How are you exercising? How are you managing your stress? Um, are you getting out in nature? All these things. How's your supplementation? None of that. They just literally say, okay, here's some antidepressants. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be used. I'm not anti-antidepressants because they save lives. But they're not the only way to, to help women at this stage of life. It's often a misdiagnosis, though, isn't it? Going a misunderstanding of actually what the, what the issue is, because doc- doctors don't actually receive any formal training in the menopause, you know. So, and it's it's often a misdiagnosis with the symptoms to think it's depression when actually it's more often than not the, sim- the you know the the symptoms of perimenopause or, or or menopause. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, and just with some lifestyle tweaks. I'm not saying again. I'm not anti HRT. It's about being informed, women being informed so they can make their own choices, but not just thinking that that's the only thing to do and that's the only thing to do. Like getting your lifestyle um, elements dialed in will massively help, massively help. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm interested, so the male male menopause, what's the the physiology of that, James? So um, it's not as pronounced as a female. Women have, like, time-wise, quite a short window where their estrogen's dropping off and their testosterone until the testosterone production totally ceases. For men, the main driver is declining testosterone. So it, it, production will typically peak in its 20s and it declines roughly around 1% year on year. So by the time we're in our 50s, it could be, depending on the individual, 30 to 50% lower than it was in our 20s. Now, obviously, testosterone plays a key role in like our male characteristics, you know, muscle mass, strength, energy, but also plays a role in cognition, plays a clear role in reproduction, libido. So we might not be aware that these things are going. We might just think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, my libido's gone. I, I'm putting on weight around my middle. I seem to be getting weaker. I've got no energy. I'm, I just don't seem to be able to focus. You can start to think there's a lot wrong with you. Actually, it's primarily driven by this drop in testosterone. But we're just not aware of it. Wow. Okay. That's a, I have to say, I'm not, I don't think I'm aware as aware of it as I possibly should be. Then, yeah. I mean, I sort of vaguely heard, I think, of that. But 
So there, and there's scientific evidence for that, for that sort of drop in testosterone and the kind of changes to behavior and so on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not as pronounced in men. And they say some men may not notice, notice the symptoms at all or may not experience them, depending, depending on the individual and how much that testosterone level drops. But some people will feel it very acutely. And, you know, if we're looking across the broad base, like most men, as they get older, are going to experience at least some of the symptoms. Uh, it makes sense, right? If our testosterone is declining across the board, we are going to have this knock-on effect within, within our bodies and mentally and emotionally as well. But then they don't also know how it interplays with things like insulin. So there's all these cocktail, other cocktail hormones that are going on for men and women. You know how it plays into the insulin response and their um, insulin resistance and how it plays into cortisol. And just knowing this makes, you know, people are more invested then in understanding why they should be doing some of the emotional and mental well-being strategies that we teach them. Because actually, physiologically, and how they're feeling, you know, mood-wise, is being massively impacted by them not knowing the interplay of all these hormones and what you can start doing, like the toolkit of things. That's what you want to do, is have a toolkit of things when you're feeling that way to just keep keep using over and over. And Ben, the point you made earlier about a lot of uh, like earlier traumas resurfacing or stuff we need to deal with, I think that's definitely true. So you've got quite a potent cocktail there. If you've got these kind of like physiological changes driven by, you know, declining sex hormone levels, that in itself would be enough to trigger like some psychological issues. You know, if your libido's gone and if you're just feeling like you've got no energy, you know, it's like, oh, who am I? What's going on? Brings the four issues. And then, of course, almost like a multiplier effect is stress. And, and like Claire was saying earlier, we had this idea, when we're growing up, we're like, oh, by the time I'm, I'm in my midlife, everything will be sorted, it'll be dandy, I'll be on top of the world. And actually, there's more stress on us than ever before. You know, we've got aging parents, we're trying to balance a career, we're trying to balance our finances, relationships, all this melting pot of stress banging on, it just like exacerbates all the symptoms as well. So yeah, and I think for men, they tend to, tend to not, unfortunately, not to have as great social networks as women and, and not be as vulnerable in terms of opening up. But I think we need to start having the honest conversations. Absolutely. I mean, I've always been really interested, like just, that's what I'm fascinated by that, the male menopause. I've always been really interested why it is that men, you know, all, for all the reasons you're saying, you arrive in midlife, and we seem to get to this kind of reflective period, you know, it's, you know, men and women, but, you know, particularly men, is it because we're, chil- you know, children of the 70s or 80s in which, the, you know, there was a lot more trauma around. But why is it we get to that stage of life and suddenly become so reflective and these things come to the fore and then, you, you know, and then it impacts on mental health challenges and, and so on, you know, so maybe, maybe you know, male menopause is, is a part of that. I don't know, that tr- triggers us in this kind of sort of reflective moment. I think also at midlife you do become aware that your life time is finite and it's a really like hard thing for someone if you really sit with that if you really sit that most people can't most people don't want to which is why we get addictions we get sticky plasters we do all these things to hide from the reality that time is finite your life this isn't a dress rehearsal and you know how it's panned out so far in the first half of your life um is that what you want for the second half of your life and you, you realise the fragility of life as well. It's like, okay, you know, I remember when my mum or my dad, if you, if you were lucky to have parents, you know, that's when my mum and dad, I remember my mum and dad being in their 40s. Now I'm in my 40s. And there's a real, there's a real awareness that your life um, is, is, 
is what you make it and it's your responsibility but a lot of people hide from that yeah so yeah 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 absolutely so so for for people that can't move to Marbella you know and have that amazing life that that, that you guys have you know so when you're thinking about you know because I imagine this is a huge part of your work when you're thinking about helping people and the sort of habit changes you know that they need to need to need to make what do you what sort of What's key to that? What's key to you think to helping people actually kind of implement these sort of habit changes that can move you forward in your life? Well, we have we work off, off six pillars because like we're you know we're holistic beings, and I think you know in the modern world a lot of us tend to forget that we're very focused on the external solutions tend to be and the quick fixes. It's just the culture we have. You know, oh, I'm overweight, I'll do some sort of fad crash diet, or I'm I'm feeling my my midlife, I'll go and blow loads of money on an expensive watch and open top sports car. You know, and they're, they're external temporary fixes. So what we work on is the holistic whole. So there's movement, you know, just starting to move your body more. You want to, you know, offset that testosterone drop by actually starting to do some cardio training, in particular do strength trainings for men and women. You know, start adding your muscle mass back. And also when you train intensity, you'll temporarily boost your testosterone level immediately post-training. You want to dial in your nutrition. Um, you know, sadly, we can't get away. You know, in, in our twenties, you know, you can definitely like chug, chug a load of beers and two cheeseburgers and get away with it. You just, you just can't. I've never been able to get away with that, by the way. Anyone that's listening to this, I was never able to get away with that. I always hate it when you say that. Oh yeah, no, that wasn't for me. But we need to dial that in. We always say, you know, <laughs> simplify it. No, no fads, but just from field or seat to table, with a few steps in between. Because most people are making really big mistakes around the exercise and the movement and the nutrition we, we see the midlifers making the same mistakes over and over and over again they just don't know how to eat or move uh, for their midlife body and in line with their hormones yeah hormones is the other big one just educating people so they have awareness of actually what's going on because then they can have a bit of compassion and then you've got your, your kind of positive mindset and your emotional well-being and those, those together so we spend a lot of time on that because you know if you just fix on the external, you're going to get short-term change, but it's not sustainable. You want to actually change limiting beliefs. You want to change habits, so shift from unhelpful to helpful. And the way we do that is actually bring awareness to what's going on for the individual. You know, what, what are my limiting beliefs? Do I actually really believe I can live this healthy lifestyle? Um, and, and, and give them the tools to actually start shifting those beliefs over time. Work on the habits, you know, identifying their powerful why. You know, always have your motivational why, which is deeply connected to your emotion. Their triggers. Um, identifying their triggers, yeah. what their triggers are to make them actually indulge in some of the unhelpful habits or the self-sabotage. We have a saying, you can't outperform your self-identity. So it's about, you know, who you are is where you've got to now, but who do you want to be going forward? And what's that new identity that's going to support your goals you're ready to step into? And then how are you going to do that? You need to work on your limiting beliefs, you need to work on your habits, you need to work on your mindset. And on the emotional side, it's about being present. So things like daily gratitude practice is a big thing we do. Visualisations. Visualisations. Uh, we use things like future rehearsals for people, you know, when, when I get to that place. So all tools like that. And then the final pillar, of course, is like accountability and support. So making sure you're in like-minded people, you know, the environment is important. So make sure you're around like-minded people. And in today's world, with, you know, virtual groups and social media, it is easy to find people that will support your journey. So... There are yeah, six pillars. There are six pillars <laughs> and a kind of a very quick snapshot of, of what we do.
Yeah, yeah. And are you and so you are you coaching individually or in groups? Well, we have. Um, so you've got your Rise program for men, and that was born out of all the stuff that you've just talked about, actually, around um, the the crazy statistics around uh, male suicide at this age as well. It's it's it's, it's just so it's so sad. So James, I was so thrilled and honoured actually to see James put that out in the world because it's helping so many men already. So that's a group programme. I've got um, a group programme um, that I'm about to launch for women, but it's not quite finished yet. But we've also got the Midlife Method, which is for men and women. That's the one, that's our kind of flagship program that we've taken so many midlifers through in the last two years. And that's called the Midlife Method. Um, and that's all of those six pillars. But those six pillars come into everything we do. We wouldn't work with anyone without touching on all those six pillars. And then we do we do one to one coaching as well. Yeah, it's essential to people's progress for you guys to be there supporting them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we it's really important that we're there for our clients. So we make it very clear to them. You know, like we might have stuff scheduled with them, but you know, we're available to reach out any time because. People fall off the wagon, you know. People go with the best intentions. They'll be like, oh, I met, I met a friend I haven't seen for years. And, oh, no, we ended up, like, getting really drunk. And then I get a ton of bad food and I feel terrible. And you're like, you know what? It's fine. Let's just, you know, put that behind us and move forward again. And, yeah. I mean, the eight-week program, that doesn't necessarily involve one-to-one coaching calls. It involves group calls, which, again, are really powerful because yeah, you're... You're aligning with like-minded people and you have that sense of accountability. And it, Some people aren't ready for one-to-one coaching, actually. Sometimes they might just want to dip their toe in with, with group, group stuff, get on on their own, come in, do the group calls when they want and actually be able to get on-the-spot coaching in a group scenario and see other people be coached. What's lovely about people um, going through the program, and they've actually become friends through the program, oh, and now they like they meet up and and they're yeah they're good they friends. They go away other. together. It's, it's incredible. It's quite sweet. That's amazing. So, and how how long do you say you've been the program's been going? Two, we did nearly two years. Yeah, yes, yeah, two about years two now. years now. Two years now. We did a, tri- a trial, like a beta test, this time last year, November. No, so, two sorry, years ago. November twenty uh, two thousand and nineteen. Wow, amazing. It's amazing that it's grown so quickly. Yeah. Just sort of dialed to just to kind of drill down a little bit on your kind of approach. So what so what's your, your kind of approach to physical fitness training and cardio health? Do you have a particular method you use for that? Yeah, we all, uh, our mantra for that is less is more. Um, I think it's clear mentioned earlier, where we see so many midlifers going wrong, you know, they get to stage like, oh, the weight's piled on. I know, I'll do what I did in my 20s. But twice as long. But double it. Uh, but actually, then you're, work, you're basically working against what's going on hormonally for your body, right? You're just increasing the stress response. At midlife, we need short, intense workouts with adequate recovery. So we're big fans of HIIT. You know, you can get it done in 15, 20 minutes a day. Um, a lot of our clients are super busy. You know, uh, we have people running like international companies and stuff. So this fits around their time. And then resistance training. And again, we'll aim to keep those to like 30 40 minutes, depending on the client and what they're looking for, but uh, they don't again, need a gym. spread out home. through the week with recovery, um, yeah, all, all home-based, we do gym programs if they're back into going to the gym, a lot of people are still quite hesitant to go back to gyms, but it's really about working on those, those key things of building back your strength and your muscle mass, 
and then building your cardiovascular fitness and just getting your, you know, work harder to get your, your body fat levels down to a level that you're happy with and then just maintaining it. And I think some people are scared of the of hit. You know, they think, oh my goodness, it's crazy, it's Joe Wicks, it's this, it's that, and it's really high intensity. Well, obviously in the name, it's high intensity interval training. But it's also benchmark, that's what we do. That's why our program is, I think, really unique because we actually do... And tailor it to the clients and we make sure that it's at their level and we progress them over time so they don't they don't feel overwhelmed they don't feel ashamed that they can't do very much it's all you know that's the last thing we would want and the resistance training you know um muscle is metabolically active so our meta- metabolic rate is dropping anyway as we age Add to that the fact that our muscle mass is decreasing. The more muscle, the more lean muscle that we can create as we age, the better because we're going to feel stronger. We're going to have less injury. Um, you know, our bone density is is going to stay strong and increase it, and also our muscle mass. So that's why it's really important. Some people think, "Oh, I don't want to do weights. I don't want to lift." It's it's absolutely essential. You can't avoid it, and and that's that's a truth bomb. You cannot avoid doing resistance training at midlife because it has so many benefits, um, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I think one of the things to do is like, get people to look ahead, and it's like you know, when you when you hit like your seventies or early eighties, yeah, we're all living longer thanks to advances in you know, medicine and stuff, but it's about the quality of life as well. And, and do you also want to be up and fit and active, or do you want to be one of those people like sat in your armchair and you can't really get out of it? So it's, it's you know, really a bit of a non-negotiable to do the resistance yes. training. No, absolutely, absolutely. And it's tailored, you have tailored to men and women? Yeah, different yeah. programs. Yeah, 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 different programs. So when we're working one to one, it's obviously bespoke. Uh, for my my men's midlife program, yeah, it's always sort of male specific workouts, yeah. home and gym, and same for the women. Yeah. And how does nutrition, presumably, is kind of a big part of your your work as well? So how, how does that feature in your method? Well, we always say to people like, think of this as an eight week nutrition course. So what we do is we basically drip through the information over the eight weeks, so that again, so they're not overwhelmed. We try and give everyone all the info all at once, and they're yeah, their general knowledge at the start isn't at a high place, they're going to fail. So it's just like, here's some general principles. Here's what will make a great breakfast. Practice making a great breakfast. Great. Now you're ready to go on to lunch. So we slowly build it up over time. And We do not give meal plans. Don't give meal plans. So we don't give meal plans because then people are not learning. So, you know, they, they can, you can follow a meal plan, but you don't know why that you're eating salmon and steamed vegetables in the evening. You know, there's, there's no education and awareness about why you're doing it if you're just following a meal plan at all. So what we do is we make sure that we're educating people in line with what they kind of normally eat so that they can make small tweaks to what they normally eat um, over time. Because we've got, so, like James said, we've got such busy people, they don't want to be making about three meals in the evening. They want to be able to adjust what they're already doing and making small tweaks. And honestly, like, some people just, oh, my goodness, I've just made this small tweak. You know, for example, don't eat um, high GI carbs. It's one of the things we say. If you've got some body fat to lose, don't eat high GI carbs after four o'clock. You know, no bread, no pasta, no potatoes, all these things. And so, so many people are used to having their big meal in the evening. So you're not using up any of that energy and you're, you're basically you're spiking your insulin just before you go to bed. So it's about re-educating people about why because then they're more invested 
and then they've got more energy. If you're going to bed with a full stomach, with really like heavy, stodgy food, your energy's going to be low, and you're going to get up in the morning and feel a bit lethargic. And that's it's all these tricks and tools that you teach people, and they're like, this isn't actually that hard. It's it's not actually it's it's more the mindset again around what's possible with a few different changes to their diet. So it's really see what it sounds like at your progress, so it encapsulates it. It's kind of these small habit changes in each in each component of it, like you know, so just so you don't overwhelm people, and then presumably they get the kind of they get the kind of feedback and the benefits they might see. I mean, and do they quite quite immediately? They start to sort of see change within within weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on the individual. You know, some some people will see like dramatic change in two weeks. Other people take a bit longer. You know, it depends. It depends on, on the individual and their genetics. Also, how close are people adhere to the program? You know, uh, if you're if you're sticking more or less to the eating, but you're still sinking a glass of wine every night, we're always super honest. It's like you know, we're not going to tell you not to. But we are going to tell you that will impact your your physical results, obviously. But it's about uh, balance. It's about balance. And if those people, if that's what they want in their life, we're not going to sit here and preach to them that they shouldn't do it. We're just making them aware that it's full of sugar. <laughs> and actually, it's not the best way mentally. It's a habit that people use as a crutch. So it's almost like changing the trigger. Why, why are you doing that? Again, it's everything's intertwined. So why are you doing that? Why are you feeling like you need that glass of wine when the hamster dies next door? You know, or you've had a great day, or you've had a bad day. It's it's and actually educating people on you know it's pure sugar basically. So everything you're kind of undoing it if you sit there in an evening and drink a couple of glasses of wine. I'll tell you, we had a, we had a client recently kind of come back to us, and she completed the program a year ago. And she came back, she's like, you know what? I just I just want to touch base and get my, my training back on track again. Do you know the amazing thing? All the weight that I lost, I've kept it off. I haven't put any back on. I've stayed, I've stayed the same because I'm following the principles and it hasn't been hard for me at all. So sustainable, so small habit changes that are sustainable. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, because yeah, it's not restrictive. It's not restrictive. You know, our approach is not restrictive. We're not like, do this, do this, don't. We're not like, cut out these food groups, cut out these macros. We're not like that at all. So it's it's a healthy way to, to live your life. And as, as soon as you start feeling like you're restricting anything, you know this, your brain will go, no, no, it's like a, it's like a little child. I want my sweets. I want my sweets. You know, it's so you're going to always pin back if there's a restriction somewhere and it feels like it's, it's yeah, like you're trying to control it in a way that it doesn't want to be controlled. Sometimes it'll always kick, kick back at you. So I, I imagine perhaps the biggest challenges are actually changing people's mindsets. I'm wondering what sort of techniques you're using there to sort of help people with their, to change their mindsets to take on board your techniques and strategies. Um, so we go, we go deep. One of the first things we're going to do is explore their why. So we always say, like, finding your emotional why. So um, let's take a really common one. I'll people say, like, oh, I just want to lose, lose some, some belly fat, you know, so I feel better when I look myself in the mirror. And you go, okay, well, that's, like, that's, a, that's an okay aim. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But why do you want that? And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's knocking my confidence. And actually then I'm not feeling as great in my relationship. And that's taken. But why is that important to you? I always encourage people. We say it's like an onion. Keep peeling off those layers and go deeper until you get to the actual kernel of why it is so important. Because that is the emotional driver that will get you up. So we're all going to get days with the best one in the world where it's, you know, the alarm goes off and you're meant to get up and do a workout. And you think, 
I really don't want to. So it's like, go back to your why. So that's the first thing. So we get that in place, the, the emotional attachment to the goal. And then from there, we'll, yeah, the habit coaching runs through. We'll also get people to work on their self-identity and limiting beliefs. We'll do that by, you know, let's look at, at, at what the goal is, where you want to be, kind of then future rehearse that. But let's make a list of, you know, what, what are some beliefs you may have about yourself right now that could prevent you from successfully achieving that goal. And then what are some good beliefs that you could have? Right? We use like modeling, you know, if you can spot, find someone that's achieved the goal, what beliefs do you think they might hold? And then look at, you know, we always say like, don't overwhelm your subconscious by trying to change a bunch at once, you know, pick the one that's gonna make the biggest impact and work on that first and just, you know, find, find the counter, change the limiting belief to the success supporting belief and then work on affirming that. So we're big on the affirmations, putting it up on your phone, on your, on your laptop, everywhere you see it, also do practice affirming it. But also make sure your behavior and your belief are aligned, right? so you're getting congruence with it. So, you know, as you're getting up to go to the gym, you know, be like, oh, I love going to the gym, I'm a person who enjoys being healthy, you know, when you're making a good choice of food. So you're then building that feedback loop of the belief and the behavior being aligned and you're engineered to change a lot faster than if you're going, I like eating lettuce and then you're secretly looking at a chocolate cake and then 10 minutes later you eat it. I think it's awareness. Honestly, I think, you know, I think 80% of everything is, is awareness. It's actually understanding yourself. It's kind of like, what, what are my triggers? So we use the ABC model, you know, what's the activating event? It's just an easy way for people to, to remember it. Like what's, And they can do this throughout the day, all day, all day. And actually, it brings compassion to themselves. And we kind of just say, just try and be curious about, be curious and inquisitive about your behaviours. Don't beat yourself up. Think about, like, when you go and, you go and do the thing that you know isn't very helpful, um, just pause, even for, like, five seconds, because there's a lot of um, sites around, you know, even just pausing to three to five seconds, having that pause and going off and doing something different. So I always say, like, have a notebook around, or just, you know, if, if the kitchen's your problem, get out of the kitchen and go to your notebook. You know, what's the activating event there? What's the consequence? So what do you do? So you go to A, C, what's the consequence? What's actually happening? And then what's the belief driving that? What's the belief driving that? And the thing is, change takes time. The mindset stuff is the hardest, hardest bit. Let's not dress it up or sugarcoat it. It is the hardest, hardest bit because it's the bit that we can't be bothered to do. But it's it's the stuff that will only, it's the only stuff that will create a healthy, happy lifestyle for you for the long term. You can do, keep doing, doing, doing all the stuff as long as you want to, but unless you're really understanding what your triggers are, what your behaviour then is, and what the belief system behind that is, you're always going to self-sabotage. And you're going to let that in, and then the inner critic comes in. Oh, you're useless. You failed again. You know, all that stuff. And then you're in this loop. Constantly feeling like you're never going to get the thing you want because you're not aware of what's holding you back, which is yourself. I tell you what, I think I want to take your program. It sounds amazing. <laughs> Bless you, guys. So yeah, it's a lot about education and awareness, to be honest. Um, and then like little tools and techniques. A, a morning routine, I have to say, a strong, powerful morning routine is what we get our clients to do. And that, that's a game changer for people. So before they let the world in, before they let their energy out, they have a routine that we've, we've asked them to do, structure, 
they set their intention, they powerfully create that energy that they want to take into the day. And it's all these different little things like gratitude, setting your intention, intention, what was the good things that happened yesterday, how would you like today to play out, bit of meditation, visualisation. Yeah, 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 well, it sounds incredible. So who, so who are you working with the sort of full spectrum of people is it largely kind of professionals or yeah I'd say mainly yeah professionals uh, a few a few like uh, full time full time mothers um, a lot of professional people and then we also do work supporting corporates, corporates. as well so we run work, workshops with corporates we've just done like a big one on um, basically thriving in the new hybrid workplace because that's throwing up a lot of challenges for employees and organisations as well, so... Um, that was nearly a thousand people, but we didn't know, we didn't know, thank God, at the time, that it was a thousand people. <laughs> so, the last time we did that, we saw the counter going up, and it freaked me out a bit, but um, yeah, it's quite a lot of people. Yeah, it's kind of scary, isn't it, when you see those numbers on the other end, I know exactly what you mean. Like I said, it sounds absolutely amazing, your programme, so where can people find out more about your programme and your coaching? So uh, you can come find us at our website, which is themidlifementors.com. We've got a free Facebook community, so just put in the Midlife Mentors community on Facebook. It's Midlife Mentors on Instagram, and of course we have our podcast, The Midlife Mentors as well. Just search for that uh, and we'll pop up. So what's what's the format of your podcast? Is it uh, kind of interview-based like this, or is it you guys talking, or...? It's a mix. They're, they're generally around half an hour, and it's either us two or then we have guests on. And I know we've got you coming up shortly, which we're really excited about. Really exciting. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. <laughs> um, okay, amazing. So before before we finish up, what what would you say is the kind of single most important piece of advice you would give someone starting who wants to take control of their kind of physical well being in midlife to get them started? I would. Physically, physically, you know, I'm just going to caveat this. So when I do my menopause workshop, there's, you know, like six um, lifestyle modifications. So if it's around lifestyle modifications, not just the mindset and emotional, six lifestyle modifications, I've got asked this on a corporate workshop, what would be the one thing that I would say to start with? And it was sugar. It was looking at the sugar content of your diet because it's in everything and it has such an impact on your physicality, your emotions, your immune system, everything. So just being aware of cutting out the sugars where you can. That would be, and, and starting to learn, read labels, you know, anything above 22.5 grams of sugar per 100 grams is a high sugar product. And most people are just consuming these, consuming these, consuming these, without even, without even knowing. So it's spiking their insulin. They're coming crashing down, what goes up must come down, and they're just so, you know, their energy levels are really, really low, and combined with everything else we've talked about, you're not helping yourself at all if you've got a high sugar diet, because we're also becoming insulin resistant as we age. So you've got a double whammy again. So sugar, I would say. Oh, that's, that's a very good one. I'll second that one for physical, but I, because there's two of us, we get to go. So I'm going to say, uh, even though it's physical, don't neglect, don't neglect the mindset work. Because, you know, I know a lot of people that are in great shape, but are actually really miserable. Because <laughs> um, they don't do the mindset. So start, do start thinking about small steps you can take. A lot of us often don't think about goals we want to achieve outside of our work environment. But start setting yourself small personal goals that you know you can achieve and start taking small steps towards them. Because that's how 
we'll get success. You know, if we if we try and shoot too high, you know, the old inner critic will kick in. We'll just tell ourselves that we, we can't do it. So set an achievable personal goal and just motivate yourself to plan and take those small steps towards it. Because over time, those small steps can lead to massive change. I've also got one more. Don't be afraid to take risks. Don't be afraid to take risks and fail. You know, by this point in our life, we're so afraid to do something and fail. Fail, it's not a fact, it's not failure. It's just another way that you've worked out doesn't work. And you know, nothing, I don't think, Everything comes with consistency, and you need to be persistent as well. We're in a quick fix society, so just understand that that is not how you create long-term health and happiness. You have to, firstly, like be able to just dip your toe in, take a step forward. Don't be afraid to fail. Take a risk, and don't expect results overnight. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So thank you so much for spending time with me today, Claire and James. It's been amazing hearing your story, honestly, and the work you're doing helping us midlifers out there to move forward in our lives. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you oh, so much, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so thank much for having us on. talking about everything. Thank you. So thanks so much to Claire and James for some fascinating insights about thriving in midlife. I hope today's episode on thriving in midlife with the Midlife Mentors was helpful It's been a pleasure spending time with you and I will look forward to seeing you next time.